as I said, we've been uh, in this series just thinking about the church and talking about, um, I guess in a way, some really foundational things, some some basic things uh, as far as a um, as far as a, a topic. If you've grown up in the church, um, I would venture to guess that it's still really good to be reminded of these things periodically. And uh, sometimes it's easy to kind of get off track a little bit, and we want to clarify kind of what we're doing. And uh, for those of you who haven't been here for the whole series, we've kind of taken two laps around our worship community and share um, play button that we have, and we're on lap two of the final component, which is share. And that's just kind of this third component of what a, what a church ought to be about. Let me throw out some, some kind of more churchy words that you might recognize. Service, sacrifice, good works evangelism, all those things would kind of fall under the umbrella of this word share. We've kind of taken all of that and wrapped it into this word, and and we're just trying to drive it deep down into our hearts, deep down into our minds, and attitudes and actions, so that that's what we would be uh, about as a people. Kind of one of the big ideas that we're talking about, we've been based off of, uh, is this idea out of Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 10. It says that you and I were created... For good works. And if you're here three weeks ago, I actually had us just say that. It's important to know. I was created for good works. And uh, sometimes good works gets a bad name, doesn't it? Because we're not saved by our works, and so people kind of put down good works and say, well, we're not all about good works. Well, yes and no, it gets a little complicated. Some people have to be untrained from that idea that we're working our way to God, and we're going to talk about that this morning a little bit. But good works better not be shoved out of the church or else we're not even fulfilling our mission that we've come to do. Would you agree with me that what went on back in the baptistry this morning was a good work? It was, wasn't it? And you know whose work it was? It was God's. Start to finish, that was God's work. John had asked specifically for these three guys to be upstanding with him uh, this morning during his baptism. And a part of that is because is the three of us, many of you have been involved in John and Claudia's story and their family um, but there's just been several little chapters that went along and divine appointments. God just, I, I had forgotten how Rich and, and John even met. Uh, but just points along the way. It was God's work start to finish. And he's not done with John yet. Uh, John's got this rolling church called Team in Training. And you know what John does when he sits on a bike for seven hours with people? He just talks about life. He talks about the new life that he has. He talks about this new creation he is. And you know what? He's not some robust expert theologically on tons of things, but you know what he's an expert on? He's an expert on the comfort of God, isn't he? Just by sheer nature of the way his life has unfolded, what God's allowed him to walk through, he's able to speak with authority. When John says on a bike next to someone who's suffering on a bike, by the way, that God's the God of all comfort and can see you through your darkest hour, and they say, yeah, what have you been through that's so dark? And do you know what John says? I'm glad you asked. And I'm glad there's 68 more miles to go. I'll tell you all about it. In between being winded, let me share. And he does. It's his church. It's his rolling church. And he's he's kind of Pastor John there. John, you get asked to pray all the time on rides, don't you? John, would you pray for us before we head out? He is the pastor of that church. And I I believe God's going to call people from team and training that will potentially be sitting in this church or other churches near where they live because of the fact that John's a new creature in Christ, and it's a good work going on. Good works are what we're all about. Uh, if you remember last, uh, last time around, um, we, uh, we, we talked a little bit about, um, about stewardship and just the whole idea of the fact that I had brought up the idea of a bank steward and that we're to be known to be um, stewards. Uh, the whole idea there is this, that, that we're not the manufacturers, but rather the distributors. So you think about Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000. He didn't ask the disciples to come up with the miracle. He didn't ask the disciples to come up with more and more lunch. All he did was he manufactured and he said, I'm going to provide it, you pass it out. That's what stewardship's all about. Can you give? Answer me this out loud. Can you give what you don't have? No. Let's try it again. Can you give? Now, now you know the answer. The answer is no. Can you give what you don't have? Of course not, right? As a teacher, I'd be a miserable teacher if I'm asking answers for my students of things I've, I've not even taught them yet. 
But when you're handed something, when you're given a gift, and by the way, John gave a great reminder, today is a gift. I've got respiratory issues, but you know what? I just got to take a breath. That's a gift. That's a gift from God. The fact that we can walk in here is a gift from God. The fact that most of you, if you choose to, could smile at me right now, that's a gift from God. You can offer that to other people. And that's the whole idea of being a steward. Don't try to manufacture it. Don't try to come up with solutions for God. Be there and be, be passing out what he provides. Now, one of the cool things that went on, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Um, we said this. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm so excited. Sharing is viewed. Share, catch this. I want you to really get this. Sharing is viewed as optional unless you understand your identity as a Christian. Let me say it again. Sharing is viewed as optional unless you understand what your identity is as a Christian. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, <coughs> Paul's writing and he says something pretty interesting. This isn't the only place it shows up, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says this. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So with this whole idea of share, here's, here's two key components to our identity as, as Christians, as believers. It's not what you're attaining to. It's not what you're trying to. It's like when Jesus said, hey, you're salt and light. You are salt. You are light. Remember that Sermon on the Mount? Now here Paul is, is, is cluing us in a little bit more to, to our identity of, of what we are. We are stewards. Some of, you, some of your translations say that you're, you were entrusted <coughs> with the mysteries of God. You know who else in the Old Testament was entrusted with the mysteries of God, don't you? It's the people of Israel. What did they do to get that title? Were they found so trustworthy and so mighty to be able to hang on to that mystery of God? No. In fact, God actually time and again wants to point out their weakness. And the fact that He chooses the most peon small thing so that He gets the glory for the good work. Not the wisdom, strength, cleverness, craftiness, or an unbelievable manufacturing ability of a people. Man, that's hard for us as Americans, isn't it? Because we're doers, we're manufacturers. But we're stewards, and we talked about that last time. This time we're going to focus more on being a servant. Now here's what happens, is that if, if you know who you are and then live it, things go okay. But once in a while, collectively as a church, and individually as, an, as a person or as a family, you can start to lose your identity, you can start to not know who you are. And... Um, God just, give, God just presents life to me in these funny ways. I was on a date with my three-and-a-half-year-old on Friday morning, and uh, we were out cruising the town. When you go on a date with a three-and-a-half-year-old, you go at nine in the morning because um, that's when they're happy. And so uh, we were cruising around, and I happened upon this scene that I just I had to whip out my, my, uh, my phone and take a picture of this because I saw these sweet flames on this car, and, um, and I thought, man, those, those flames are just looking so cool. What happens is if you... If you lose your identity, things get, things get super goofy, okay? Um, and, and as a Christian, if we don't know who we are, we start saying really weird things. We make super corny bumper stickers. We have all these different things that don't make any sense. Now, what happens is I saw these flames, and I thought, man, that is really cool. But when you see the whole picture, it gets really weird. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the top-selling minivans in America. It's called a Toyota Sienna. Here's, here's the deal. If this is your car, take the flames off. Because what happens is, I, I don't know what the next step is, but my hunch is spinners getting lowered, cruising the El Camino. I mean, it just gets weird with that tight chain steering wheel. I mean, what, what goes on from here? Massive subs. I mean, there's tons of room in the back. And I see this car, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And uh, I almost, I really wanted the person to walk up on me taking pictures of their car, because I just wanted to know who owned this car. But see, if, if we as Christians don't understand that we're stewards, if we somehow think that we've been given this mystery to enjoy ourselves, we get really goofy as Christians, don't we? We start holding on to stuff, or we start trying to manufacture stuff. Or... If we don't understand that we're servants, then, then it gets really backward as well. 
I think one of the biggest mistakes or the gravest errors a church could make is when you have two people in the church. And tell me if you've seen this. This just happens all the time. Two servants in a church, in the body of Christ, who are supposed to yield to one another out of humility, out of love for the other one, out of putting the other one first, and they're jockeying for position, they're jockeying for title, they're jockeying to kind of one-up the other one. That's as wacky as a minivan with flames and going cruising and trying to race a hot rod race. It's, it's backward, and it shouldn't be happening. So this idea of a servant is there for us. Talent show. This was the idea of uh, last uh, a few weeks ago. Some of you were, were given something. You were given a monetary gift when you walked into this building. You didn't expect it. If I had said, I want you to take some money today, and I want you to find a way to bless people in the name of Jesus Christ, some of you would have said this, ah, I'm out of the game. I don't have any spare cash. Now, we won't talk about the fact that maybe you went out to lunch. I'm not going there right now. But you weren't allowed to say that a few weeks ago. You know why? Because you were handed cash. You were forced into the game. Not by show of hands, but just, just let me ask this question. I wonder how many of you in this room have struggled with having that a little bit. It's almost like Frodo in the ring a little bit. It's a burden. And you go, man, I want to do right with this money. Someone from this local body entrusted me with this 40 bucks. Man, I want to do the right thing with it. And what's really cool is when you're given it in that stark of a sense, and it's a total unexpected gift, we get the picture so clearly. You know who else gets it clearly? is those who right now are on their back in a hospital bed. They get the fact that you sitting in here with your health have been given a gift. They see it super, super clear. So when we're given it that clearly, we just say, okay, I'm a steward of this. This is not my money. I don't get to start spending this for me. Man, I'm excited to get to enter into the game and figure out how to do this. Let me encourage you. Part of the, it wasn't a rule. We didn't make it a rule, but we made it a strong encouragement that you just pass back to the community what God's doing through you. Already some stories are pouring in. Look at our website. There's a new section that just says how we share. And it just unpacks a lot of the stuff we're talking about with this. And one of the sections is on talent show. And it's just, it's, just, it's just showing God's love by the talents he's given us. And so people are starting to write in these super cool things of how they're taking this cash that they were given and using it for God's glory. 1 Corinthians 4.1, <clears throat> we looked at servants and stewards. Paul saw himself very clearly as a, as a servant. I put, I put these in your notes so you don't have to turn there. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Ephesians 3, 1. I became a servant of this gospel. Was he always? No. But he was gifted this. The day he became a new creature in Christ, he became a servant. You know what he was before? He was one being served. He looked for others to serve him. He became a servant of this gospel. Paul extends this title to others as well. Timothy, Epaphras, uh, Tychicus, Phoebe, Apollos. He, he, he tells them, you're servants. You're fellow servants. He'll say it all through the New Testament. Jesus in Mark 10, 43, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever, must, whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. How many want to be first? Here it is, all of us. You'll all do it in your different ways. Some of you will be type A and you'll shove others down. Others of you will just judgmentally sit back. And if you could, you would be type A, but you kind of sit back. And you, but you, we all want to be first. Jesus just comes and turns this whole thing upside down. And of course, he demonstrates it most vividly, right, by taking up a servant's towel and then washing those that he created. How are we to serve? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says that, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, <coughs> excuse me, so that we would walk in them. Do I have Ephesians uh, 2.10 written in your notes? Okay, I want you to circle the word walk. Circle that word walk in them. Because walk in them indicates that it's a normal, everyday kind of a deal. We all like to hear about and see. In fact, the news loves to grab stories of giant, heroic service things, right? 
But there's a certain sense out of this verse that just says these, these, these were created beforehand that you should walk in them. Walking is a super common everyday thing. In our culture, we live in more of a car culture, so it would be like walk or drive or ride your bike or light rail in them. It means just as you're going. I mean, as you go through your day, look for the good works that God's prepared and laid out for you. And just walk in them. Don't wait for the big heroic thing. I'm saving myself for, I think, every ten years God wants me to do something. You're wrong. You've missed a whole big chunk of time there. Walk in them. They're regular everyday moments that God may have designed specifically for you to do a good work, to start a good work, to continue a good work, to complete a good work. Love that idea. We're going to take a closer look at what these good works are. Here's the deal. We don't get to define them. They've actually been defined for us. On one level, God doesn't, God doesn't lay out, these are the 29 things you should do, or else, again, we'd be neo-Pharisees, and we'd all kind of master those 29 things. So in, on one level, the possibilities are, are endless. But, but the scriptures give us some clear guidelines of what these good works ought to look like. We're going to just focus on two due to time. But two of these words are, are kind of in the fruit of the spirit cluster. You'll, you'll recognize them if you've read that before. The first word is kindness. <coughs> and kindness, just kind of a simple definition, is a sincere desire for the happiness of others. And kindness is something that can happen before you're saved. Amen? You don't have to be a Christian to be kind, right? You can, you can, you can be kind and, and be an unsaved person. But I would say this. I would say at the age of 17, when the Holy Spirit filled my life and I began to follow and trust the Lord, and I was baptized and I began to walk in His ways and follow Him, yield my life to Him, read His Word every single day, there, became, there began to grow in me something that I could not explain. It was absolutely and utterly supernatural. And those around me closest to me discovered it and found out about it, thought I was going through a phase. Um, and the phase is kind of still going. And what it is, it's this... It's this Holy Spirit. It's this Holy Spirit that suddenly makes you keenly aware of people around you that you had no idea were around you before. Some of you can attest to this. You were going through life. You cared about yourself, your family, some of your extended family, one of your coworkers, and this really cool neighbor or whatever. You know, we kind of picked and choose who was in our radar, and we kind of went that route. And you become a Christian. You go, you know, first it's a command. You go, do I have to care for that guy? I don't like the Good Samaritan story. That, that bugs me. I have to really care for that guy. But, but, but it starts to grow. Is it easy? No, so of course it's not easy. Do you do it perfect? Of course you don't do it perfect. But have you, have you experienced this where you start having this, this Holy Spirit awareness and desire for the sincere happiness of those around you? And, and you go, where is this coming from? That's, that's really not me. And there again, you can just stop, bow your head, and thank God for doing a work in you. That's being, that's being given a brand new heart. Not having a heart of stone, but having a heart of flesh. It's a sensitivity to where they are at, what they need. Apart from God's grace, apart from God's grace, you and I are concerned with our responsibilities, our needs, our hurts, our joys, and our plans. The kindness from God looks different than what than what you and I or an everyday person can kind of muster on our own. We can muster a certain kind of kindness, but there's a quality and a depth and a sustainedness to a God-spirited led kind. Luke 6.35 says this, talking about God. He, God, is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. I can muster kindness. If you come do something nice for me, let's just test this after service. Come and do nice things for me. And I think, I don't think I would need the Spirit of God or the Bible or anything to be able to do kind things back to you. In fact, I think that's sort of hardwired in people. A nation treats another nation kindly. Good things happen. Uh, just from growing up with three brothers, I know this. If one brother slugged me on the arm, I did not return it with kindness. There wasn't a sharing of my Halloween candy. There wasn't a bless you brother. There wasn't kumbaya being sung. You know what you did? You punched back harder than he punched you. Why? Because he initiated it and he deserves it. If you're doing this to an older brother, I had two of them, they then punch back even harder. <laughs> At this point, dad's arm's waving like this and the car's swerving. So that's how my life grew up, okay? You just expand that to nations, and that's what goes on with nations. We get this. You do kind things for me, I do kind things back for you. But how about to the ungrateful? Have you ever been kind to an ungrateful person? It takes, it takes the Spirit of God to go, to not become jaded by that, cynical by that, closed-hearted to the next opportunity. 
It just takes the Spirit of God to freely give, whether they're grateful or ungrateful. How about the wicked? You ever been kind? You ever go out of your way to go be kind to a wicked person? You know what Christians have a reputation of doing? Calling out their wickedness. There's a, there's a place for that. But if that's all Christians are known for, man, that's a, that's a lousy deal. What, what, if, what if we went out of our way to go be kind to wicked people? But they're wicked. I know. Read the Gospels. Jesus did it all the time to the ungrateful and to the wicked. That's God-like kindness. Romans 2.14 says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that woos us and draws us like a lover does and says, man, I've been fighting you my whole life, running from you my whole life, and you've overcome me with kindness. I want to come and yield my life to this good God that we serve. Jesus said, love your enemies and bless those who persecute you. Here's the prayer for us as a church. Lord, grow in us a deep, sincere concern and interest for other people. The title of the message this morning is Hold Nothing Back. What does hold nothing back when it looks like being kind to an ungrateful or wicked person for you? For your family, for your community group, for us as a church in this neighborhood. That's the question we should be wrangling through and wrestling through. That's where it doesn't get so simple sometimes. But to walk in obedience to do that. The Old Testament verse that kind of reminds us that kindness is tied to action. There's a whole bunch more, obviously. But Micah 6.8 says this, And what does the Lord require of you? Remember I said sharing is optional until you understand your identity? Here's what God requires. It's not optional. But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Kindness. Here's the second one I want to look at, goodness. By the way, the old lady with the, with the blind walking stick, that's a, that's a freebie. If you can't be kind to a little old lady crossing the street with a walker, um, deep repentance and fasting and confession, that's what I think is the remedy for that. Those are the, I, I intentionally put a picture where it's like we all get that. Those are the ones we understand. The harder ones are the opportunities that we walk by all the time and we're not trained to even see them. Because we walk right by going after our plans, our hurts, our joys, our name. Those are the ones where I say, Lord, give me eyes to see. This holiday season, when you go with your family, give me eyes to see how you want me to be a steward of your grace and how you want me to be a servant like Christ this Thanksgiving. Tomorrow morning at work, it's Monday. Same deal. And that could just be an ongoing prayer to, to walk in these things. Goodness, the activity calculated in advance, the activity calculated to advance that happiness. So if kindness is kind of this sincere desire, in some ways you could say goodness kind of puts feet to that kindness. It takes kindness and puts it into action for us. Jesus was devoted to the welfare of other people. Here's a challenging question. Am I? Have I devoted my life to the welfare of other people? That's a really convicting question. A few weeks ago, we had a mirror hanging on this back wall as part of a a display on the love of God. Wouldn't you just love to be able to look at yourself and see Christ pouring out of your life? Not because you're mustering it, but because God's growing that from the inside out. And you you just see this person who's being deeply concerned for the welfare of others. I don't want you to stop at being sensitive to the needs of others. I want you to take action. That's what the scriptures would say for this. Don't be merely hearers of the word, being convicted by the word, having a a deep moment with the word, but do the word. Go let your hands and your feet and your mouth and your smile and your eyes go and put into practice what you've just heard. That's the hard part, right? We can all sit in church. I can speak profoundly once in a while about these matters. So much harder to live it. Impossible to live it without the enabling work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Some people have these kinds of things. Here's the, here's the response. But I don't feel called. I don't feel called. Let me ask you this, moms. Did you feel called to put a jacket on your kid before they left for school on a super cold morning? No. You did it because there was a need, right? Right? You happen to know that your kid would be, I'm not cold. Trust me, you'll be cold in five minutes. Here's a jacket. So you put it on. What if you don't have money for a jacket? You scrimp and save and you sacrifice so that you can get your kid a jacket. 
Mom, you don't, you don't feel called to that. You just do it because there's a need there. Well, what if we live the same kind of way? We see a need and we meet it. Here's another, uh, I think, an, an honest kind of a rebuttal or, or a, a stopping point. I, I don't know what to do. I see these needs, but I don't know what to do. You know what I would say? Do something. While there's still daylight, while we have freedom as Christians in this country to do pretty much whatever we want, go do something. God will lead you in that. Sometimes people have, see a need and they start to go after it and do it, and they fall flat on their face. If you've never done that, you're not doing stuff. You, you, you ought to put yourself in situations where you're standing here and you go, I have no idea what to do next. I don't have the words to say, the wisdom to offer. And you're just, you're like Wiley e. Coyote out on the, le- you just, there's nothing beneath you. You're like, Lord, if you don't show up in this situation, I'm just, I'm out there. You know, that's a great place to be. Here's the other thing with that. As you start to move forward, as you start to speak up, as you start to say, we've got to do something. Other people come along and they start to join you. And guess what? God's wired them to have expertise in areas you don't have. Praise God for that. So maybe you're the initiator. Maybe you're the one that says, I can't sit quiet anymore. And there's 10 people who are not initiators and said, man, I wish I would just speak up, but I'm too shy. Sometimes you get doing something. You do it so terrible that like 20 people feel bad for you. And they jump in and help. There's your team. You stink at doing it, but you know what? You can kind of get something going. That's the body of Christ at work. It's a really cool deal. Man, I, I look around at faces. I happen to know so many of your stories and, and just how something got started. I used to tell our college students, and this is true today, by the way. I'll tell you. There are international students right now all around us who, if you speak English and you own a driver's license, you are a massive help to this person. Huge. Because you can pick them up from their apartment. You can drive them to Del Mar High School because you know how to run Google Maps. And you can take them to do their test or whatever they need to do or whatever paperwork they have to fill out. And then you can drive them back. You know how long it would take them to, to potentially figure that out but then get there by public transportation? A long time. Can they do it? Of course. They do it all the time. But what a joy to have an opportunity to just, have a, to just be a friend to someone. That's just sharing your car. It's just sharing your English. They love to talk with you because they get to talk with conversationalist English instead of book English. You can walk them through different, different things about how English speakers speak. Man, that's just been a huge joy. You know, you know how that came about for me in my life? I kind of stumbled upon it. God just, God just, I mean, I say that. It's, it's God just kind of laying it right there. And I just began to walk in it. Other college students began to walk in it. And, and around this room, needs are met because you just took a step, started doing something. Other people... Your courage stirred potentially a movement or other people getting involved. Here's what I think is true. I think that we, I could say I, we want to look good. We want to feel good. I think we even want to do good. But here's what, here's what God calls us to. He calls us to be good. And so this last part I just want to, I just want to lay out to kind of really strongly lay down the foundation for this. That this is not about you and your effort, you and your pulling your bootstraps up and starting to do good works kind of a motif. Rather, this is the fact that the source of all this goodness is regeneration. It's a new heart. It's a gift. It's, it's humbling yourself and saying, I need victory over my sin. I promise you, John, you're going to struggle in the days ahead. You just, you just publicly acknowledge Christ. You're going to struggle in the days ahead. But I love Rich's prayer. Rich just said, God, let this be like a, a stake in the ground. In the Old Testament, they would build stones. God would tell them, you put stones here. When your kids say, what are those stones all about? You say, we were at the water's edge. We were dead. Egyptian army chasing us. And God parted the Red Sea, allowed us to go through and end up on dry land. He saved us. He wants us here as a people. He's for us. He has given us a hope. He has given us a future. It was God that did it. It wasn't Moses. Moses was a channel of God. 
But it was God that did it. That's the same thing with you. If you go out to do good works, to build a great society, to build a great thing, to build a great organization, that's the wrong motivation. What if each of us just started to take absolutely and utterly seriously every single day of our life this call to be a servant, to live out who we are, Christ? It'd be a fun thing to be a part of, wouldn't it? Just like tennis, uh, not all service is the same. What I want to do is this. Jesus came along and he said this. He made no, he made no bones about it. He said, fault in. Just like tennis, there's clear lines. What was in, what was out. So what's in, what's out? Uh, we're not going to cover all of it, but we'll just, we'll just cover a little bit of it. Uh, some of you like to read, some of you don't like to read. What, I, what I've done for you this morning is um, some of you uh, Volvos in here. Many of you might not like this, but Volvos, you're going to love this. There's a table in your notes this morning. Okay, Some of you love tables. They're neat. They're clean. Yes, we've got engineers uh, just, just chomping the bit. They're like licking their pencil. Like, I'm ready to go. Finally, Dave put some square lines in my notes. Here we go. We're going we're gonna to fill out a table. Um, this, is, this is a book by Richard Foster, and he's just, he's just one of the great thinkers on this. And um, his, his challenge with spiritual disciplines is to nurture the inner life and not to clean the outside of the cup, to go back to this metaphor that, that Jesus used but to keep nurturing the inside of the cup. And I I just found this so helpful. What I did was I took a chapter in words and I put it in a table for you, okay? And so that's kind of all this is. But what we want to look at is true service versus what what, what he calls self-righteous service. And I'll, I'll I'll be the first to say, I see myself on both sides of this table. And if you're on one side of the table, it's self righteous service. You just get on your knees, you repent of it, and you stop it. That's called repenting. But when it's exposed, it's ugly, and you go, oh, yeah, I've been that guy. But also when you see true service, know that that's coming from somewhere other than you. That's God at work in you. Here it is, true service and self-righteous service. Self-righteous service is concerned with human effort. True service is God's enabling in our life. If you find yourself getting tired, worn out, it's because you're struggling in human effort, perhaps. God enables you to do supernatural good works. Self-righteous service is prompted by guilt or pride. Some people walk out of church. I did this for a lot of times. Walk out of church, go, man, I feel really guilty about that. I must be on God's bad side. I better get on it for a while. So I do it out of guilt or pride, and then I do it in human effort, and I'm compounding the problem. True service is the whispered promptings, these divine urgings. The, the idea is that you're praying without ceasing, as John, as John shared with us. And you're sitting in a round table booth with your family, and God urges you to go and talk to that mom over there. And you go, that's the wackiest thing ever. I'm eating dinner. But that didn't come from you. And, and, and if, you get, if you get used to this, if you get listening for this, you, you become like a hand that, that just says, hey, reach for that water. Because there must be another part of the body that needs water right now. And even if it doesn't make sense to you, even if you don't see the whole picture, you, you just obey. You just walk in it. You know what happens a lot of times? You walk away from an encounter like that, and you go, I don't get it. I don't see why I talked to that person. And you may never understand that or see it. I don't know how the encounter between John and Rich went at Valley during the greeting time a long time ago. But someone prompted them to say hi to each other. And they did so. And here it is, just years later, and Rich has been a tremendous support to John and vice versa. John's been an encouragement to Rich. Thirdly, uh, the self-righteous servant is very impressed with the big deal. Super impressed with it. Whereas the true servant indiscriminately welcomes all opportunities to serve. doesn't matter how big or little it is. doesn't matter if the cameras are running or not. doesn't matter if you're going to get credit for it or not. It, doesn't, it isn't about that. In fact, that's all secondary. You're not even thinking that way. You just move on. Here's another one. Self-righteous servant needs applause. The true servant rests in hiddenness. <coughs> Self-righteous servants are affected by whims or moods. They feel like doing it or they don't feel like doing it. You know what the true servant does? 
They faithfully and simply serve because there's a need. Again, parenthood's a great example of this. There's a lot of days I feel like being a parent. There's a lot of days I don't feel like being a parent. Parents just keep at it because there's a need there. Whether they feel like it, whether they not, they're not subjected to those whims. The self-righteous servant has this temporary uh, element affected by uh, feelings. When, when, uh, when the feelings go, so do the acts of, of service. Whereas a true servant, it's a lifestyle, it's an ingrained pattern of living, such that it actually just becomes habitual. It's their habit of doing this. And I've just been around people. In fact, I've tried to orient my life to be around people like this because I need that to rub off on me. Because I habitually serve myself. And I just say, God, I need to die and I need to walk in your ways. That's how it's got to go down. The self-righteous servant is insensitive and demands the opportunity to help, whereas the true servant can withhold as freely as it gives. You know where I've seen this most? I've taken a ton of kids down to Mexico to serve. I've taken some people. In fact, um, uh, one of the local opportunities that we're going to get to in a, in a heartbeat here is this um, San Francisco homeless, homeless outreach that we do. And what happens is, um, and this is, this is all fine and dandy. It's all part of growing in it. When you're brand new to a skill, I took Ben disc golfing for the very first time, and his very first throw was a nightmare. It was really a nightmare. And, um, and you know what? I expected that because it's his very first time doing it. Ben can now beat me on most any day at disc golf which I resent deeply. Just kidding. I don't. I don't really care much. Um, when, when people are coming down to be a servant in a place, I expect this. There's a, there's a bumbling and a fumbling that kind of goes on. But one of the things that we do to prep people is this. Um, let's not go down there and, and force our service on them. In other words, be sensitive to where people are at. And this is true with, with homeless people. You know what one of the gifts is? If you're talking to them and, and what you want to do is get right on with your little spiel about whatever it might be. Or you want to get right to the passing out of blankets and clothes and to show out all these things. That may be appropriate for one person. But the next person that you come to, you know what they might need most of all that night? They might need a touch from you and looking them in the eyes. And I've had person after person after person look at me. And say, you Christians, you keep doing this. And he said, you keep bringing people out here and doing this, okay? It's a good thing that you're doing this. We need this. That, that, that person may or may not have taken a blanket. I don't know. But what they needed most right there was just to, to communicate gratitude. That was a gift to them for me to receive their gratitude in that moment. And, and sometimes people want to come and kind of... They, they, they bowl right past that situation. They're not sensitive to the needs of the other person. They're sensitive to their need to have to share. I mean, I, I set aside a whole night for this. I've got to share. I've got a whole bag of stuff. I've got to give you things. And, and all the while, you're, you're, you're blowing past what the Holy Spirit's saying, which is, stop. Shh. Listen. Just, just be with this person for a moment. It may get there. And that's just... And it's a, it's a, I'll stop. Um, lastly, the self-righteous servant fractures community by putting other people in debt to them. You guys have had this happen. Someone comes and does a nice deed for you. You know what they're doing? They're fishing for it to come back. You are now in debt to me because I've done a nice deed to you. And they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to do a nice deed back to you. There. And it's like hit the ball back. Like I don't want it on my side at all. You know what? True servants build community. Because there's a sense in, in things being given. And this is one of the sweetest things. You, you start to look past the gift to how it was given. We've received gifts that we just go, and the gift is awesome. I can't, I can't deny that. But I couldn't care less about the gift. The real gift was how this person gave it. I, I didn't feel indebted to them at all. They just genuinely wanted to come and bless my life. And that blows me away. And that's the gift in and of itself. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. We're going to close with this. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, 
you will abound in every good work. I think I put this on your bulletin. And I put it there for a reason. Look at these words. Circle the word all. To make all grace abound. Circle all. Circle abound. To you. So that in all things, at all times, two more alls. Having all that you need, another all. You will abound in every good work. Do you see that this isn't chintzy giving? This isn't chintzy service, like like weaseling out a little 10% or 8% of your week or life. But that this this is just an, an overflow and it's a continual thing. Now, the context here is money being given. By the way, that's another good work that the Bible calls us to, is to be giving with our money. But the giving isn't so much something we do, it's just something we are. Money happens to be another one of those channels, right, of giving. You know when giving feels yucky at church? It's when that's all you do. And you feel like you're kind of paying for the church experience. Backward, screwed up, don't do it that way. That's not what God says. In fact, in this passage, he says he loves a cheerful giver. Someone who's doing it just out of the, out of the, the joy of their heart. Not under compulsion, not under manipulation, not under 27 verses of just as I am. They're like, okay, one more pass at the offering. That's not what God wants. That's backward. Next week, I've asked Rich. Rich is going to come and do a standalone message. He's spent um, countless hours. In fact, he's actually preaching in another church right now. But he's spent countless hours with people serving them, doing budget mentoring. Money's an issue in our culture, in case you haven't seen that. And Rich has this whole thing on giver's school. What does the Bible say about, about giving, and why don't we train for it? And he's going to come and do kind of a standalone message just on some of the principles in giving. And so that's going to be next week. Um, I'd like to invite up uh, Poncho right now. Come on up, Poncho. Poncho and I met at about 10.32 as uh, the service had just begun. So uh, nice to Thank you, meet you some more. Um, I got a chance to, uh, to chat a little bit um, with, um, with Burl. Is that how you say his name? Burl from, uh, from Sacred Heart Ministries. And uh, God just put me in touch with, with this uh, ministry. And one of the things that I want to do is give us opportunities as we walk out this door, ways to walk in the truth that we just learned. I feel kindness. I want to do goodness. How do I go about that? And so Poncho is going to share just a little bit about, uh, about the ministry mm-hmm. and about some ways to be involved. Great. Thank yeah, you. thanks. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> My name is Poncho Guevara. I'm the executive director of Sacred Heart Community Service uh, here in San Jose. And this, this is an organization that was founded... 45 years ago by a woman of deep faith who actually had her pastor say, could you deliver a box of food to a family in your neighborhood? And she said, well, of course. This is a woman who had, for 35 years, had laid floors and she was deeply committed to her faith. And she took this box of food to a family. And she saw the children, like, just ecstatic at the idea that there could be some oranges and that they would have enough food to eat that night. Mm-hmm. And the, the reality of hunger in her neighborhood was laid bare to her, and it challenged her to say, what am I doing to live out my faith? What am I doing to reach out and create the opportunity to make it easy for people to be involved and make a difference in the lives of others? So Sacred Heart Community Service has grown to become one of the ministries that's here for the poor and the homeless. And I'm here to actually not just to ask people to be involved, but to thank you for your good works. Mm. To thank you for the work you're doing with the poor and the homeless in your own community as you live out your faith. But to also say, there's more that we can do. On Thursday, I had a date to pick up my daughter um, from, uh, from preschool. And as I was leaving the building, there was this gentleman coming out to the door in front of our facility on First and Alma. And you know he, he wanted to come he wanted to come in and talk with me. He said I, I have a donation I want to be able to give. And I said, oh, that's really wonderful. Thank you. And he's wearing a Tesla hat and shirt, and you know. And I said, yeah, fine, come on in. And and, and but I, I kind of need to go. But but I really appreciate you being able to. That's really generous of you. And uh, and whatever it was, and I think it was the Lord making me slow down for a second mm. and say. Let me find out what, what, what this gentleman's story is. And he said, you know, I've been working at Tesla now uh, up in San Carlos for, you know, six months. But a year ago, I was coming to your door because I didn't have enough food to eat. Mm. I didn't have 
the resources that I need. And, and when I came here, I heard by word of mouth that you're a good organization that treats people with real respect. I want to be able to, to do this work with that. I want to be able to learn more about how to improve my life um, and that you would be here in a dignified way. You wouldn't judge me for who I am and what I've experienced. And he told me he got food, he got some clothes, and he went to a job program and helped get assistance finding a job and taking some computer classes and other things. And, and he got a, a lead on, on some potential hiring opportunities. And he got this job working you know, at Tesla. And, uh, and he was, for 10 minutes, saying, I can't believe I have health insurance. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. I could actually have that. And thank you to you, and I want to give back. And I said, you know, that's not that important. So what else can I do? I said, well, can you maybe come back and tell some other folks about your experience and, and know what happened? I said, you know, the big thing that you gave me was hope. You didn't treat me like a problem, like someone with deficits. You didn't care about, what, about any of these other issues about my life. But you were here to treat me with dignity, compassion, and respect. And I feel that. So I want to give back. And so he, I reluctantly accepted his donation, and apparently he's been coming for the last four months, giving a little bit of out of the paycheck mm. that he's given them, and wanted to do that. Mm. And that lesson of people wanting to give back, wanting to be part of something and try to improve their community is really the fundamental of what Sacred Heart Community Service is about. Our vision is a community united to ensure that every child and adult is free from poverty. Last year alone, we've served over 43,000 children and adults here in Santa Clara County, including from this neighborhood and this ministry that was started by women just five miles from here 45 years ago, continues to thrive. But what makes it real is not about services to those in need. It's about what we do to get the community involved. Last year alone, we had over 6,000 individual volunteers. I have 50 staff members, but I have 150 volunteers, 150 to 200 volunteers each day that are there to live out this idea of one community. And they do it out of the bottom of their hearts, out of conviction, out of ritual, out of the sense of, I want to build a better community. I don't want to just hear about problems, but I can do something about it each and every day. And that's what I'm here to invite you to. I will be outside um, after the service to be able to share some information about what it means to volunteer or being involved. I'm not here to ask for financial support. Mm -hmm. What I'm here to say is that we can walk in service. We can live out what it means to build community in a way. And, and there are institutions like Sacred Heart and many others that are able to do so. But more importantly, to thank you. To thank you for preaching this. To connect with what this means to build community is by you taking that step in your own lives, in your own families, in your neighborhood, in this sanctuary with mm -hmm. each other, and showing Christ's love, that is what we're here to do, and that's what we're here to build, and there are institutions that are here to make that expression of love to the poor as well. Mm. Thank you. God bless you. Mm. Thanks, Pancho. <clears throat> Let me invite uh, the band up. Thank you, Thank you Pancho. And uh, if I can get the, the ushers to get ready with um, our communion elements as well. Um, by the way, one of the things that excited me so much, I got to spoke with, with Burl from uh, Sacred Heart, is um, it's, a, it's the kind of place that you can go as a, as a family, as a couple, as an individual. Uh, you don't need to wait for an organized time to head down there, um, but rather you can be directly in contact with Sacred Heart and line it up yourself. And uh, by the way, the way I checked out this ministry is I asked some of our uh, some of our homeless guys that God's graced us with said, "Hey, are these guys good guys?" They said, "Absolutely." So um, that was a great that was a great commendation. Uh, they just they just said they're they're doing it right. We wanted to partner with that. Um, one of the other local share events that's coming up uh, that we talk about all the time at this time of year is uh, Ron and Vivian Rose do this thing called Help One Child. Uh, they are coming around to all the community groups to just share more information about that. Um, you'll be hearing more about that in the days ahead. Uh, Ben's got one more that's kind of a local share thing, and he's going to be really brief with it. I, I know it almost feels like you're, you're, you've been inundated with all these different ways to help and all these different ways to share. But as uh, Dave and I have been talking about this whole Christmas season, 
one of the things we really wanted to do was instead of saying, all right, this is the one thing that we as a church are going to do, and if you come here, you can't do anything else, but instead to offer you so many different ways to, to plug in, to share, that you can connect with one and go, this is me. This is something that I connect with. This is something that I have a passion for and want to be able to help out with. So Dave pointed you earlier to our website under the How We Share section. There's a section just for holiday opportunities, and there's like six or seven different opportunities up there. He just mentioned a few of them, but I'm going to tell you about one more. Um, what I've done is simply taken a Google map, and uh, there's another copy of this back on the black table back there. Uh, but it has 13 different areas that I've just uh, sectioned off. Uh, NBC is right here, and uh, this is just the surrounding community. And uh, what I've done is go went ahead and sectioned off these areas for you as a community group to get together, to pass out bags with a little flyer to each house in this area uh, just asking for canned food. Um, this is something that Valley Church has done numerous years in the past and has had success with and brought back tons and tons, uh, literal like weight tons of food uh, for the homeless. And what we're going to do with that is uh, this is a great way to connect with, with Sacred Heart. So uh, you, you as a community group, uh, if, if you want to, talk about this you know, and say, hey, is this something we as a community group want to do? Go ahead and grab an area, own it, and uh, march forward with this. This is my encouragement to you. If this is something you guys go, yeah, I want to help out Sacred Heart, uh, grab an area, pass out bags, flyers. All this information about the details on how to do it will be on the website. Um, but this is a great way just to collect a lot more food than you as yourselves could do in just raiding your own pantry. But this is a great way to involve our entire neighborhood in the area to say, hey, here's another way for you to help out. Um, and like I said, all this information will be on the web this week. Uh, feel free to email me with any questions. I'll have maps for you. I'll have all the info that you as a community group need to go out and do this together. Uh, so this is one other way for you guys to, to share. Thanks, Ben. All right, uh, I'd like to have the ushers just come on forward, and they're going to be passing out the elements. I'd invite you just to hold the elements this morning. We're going to take it together after one song. And I want you to look um, to, to this passage I'm going to read. We read this often at communion time, but it just rings so powerful with our identity. Catch this, as servants and stewards. Here it is. Philippians uh, chapter 2, and it says this. <clears throat> Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should, not look, should, should look not only uh, out for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, here it is, taking the very nature of a servant and being made or found in human likeness. And in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Romans 8.32 says this, talking about God, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He's given us things for us to be stewards of, and he's called us to be a servant in the vein of Jesus Christ. Let me pray, and we'll sing a song, and then uh, we'll dismiss. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for these elements that we're passing right now. And God, I pray that um, as we share around the Lord's table, God, that we would look at ourselves and um, allow you to mold and shape our attitudes and our hearts so that we could take on this, um, this form, this very nature of, of being a servant, God. In Jesus' name, amen.